In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tokyo Entertainment or its partners. It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships, sans the sleaze factor, while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget. in the area of sexuality. And there really isn't, in, you know, in the way like um, education or someone wants to be an attorney, although now you probably don't want to be an attorney too much. Jobs are like, you know, there's not very many jobs, but they have a very clear-cut path on how to go about getting your education, what the next step is, who is going to be recruiting you at universities. But in the field of human sexuality, there really isn't that much that's as straightforward. And, and it's something that many people end up coming into the field as a result of they come via a circuitous route. I mean, I know for myself, I certainly did. I have a hard sciences background. I have a degree from the... Um, uh, Fashion Institute of Technology in New York, which I have to tell you has been very helpful, truly. <laughs> and now I'm just waiting to get my guest on. But what we're going to look at is how do people go about getting a degree that will then allow them to be marketable either to do research, because some people that is their quest. They want to do research in the field. They want to be an educator. But in order to do that, you do have to have a graduate degree program. If you wish to be a therapist or you wish to be an educator, you do not have to have a degree that is, um, one moment, I just can't, okay, um, you, you don't, ha we don't have that same, you know, sort of straight line. Now, Betsy, are you on with me right now? Yes, I am. Oh, thank you. I'm not seeing it on my screen here. I'm here. <laughs> Fabulous. So tonight my guest is Dr. Betsy Crane, who is a professor and had been the most recent director of the graduate program in human sexuality at Widener in Pennsylvania. Now, my understanding, Betsy, is that Widener is one of only two that are nationally accredited 
universities or, or institutions for this field of study in the U.S. That's true. Uh, our program, which has now become its own department, mm-hmm. as of July 1, we are the Center for Human Sexuality Studies, and there is one other department of sexuality studies, and that's at San Francisco State. So like on, you know, either side of the country. <laughs> there you go. And we're just outside of Philadelphia, just so people have an idea of where we are. Mm-hmm. Now, when, and one of the reasons I wanted so much to have you on is that I happen to have met a gentleman who has become a, a, a good friend who is a medical examiner, and his field exploded with shows such as NCIS, CSI, and he said they literally, you know, they, they have people just beating down the doors to come and do the work in their labs and to do their programs. Have you any idea what you would attribute the growth and expansion, particularly in your, you know, program, mm-hmm. which you said went from having 35 five years ago to 100 now? Actually, we were admitting 30 per year five years ago, and this fall we're admitting 100. We actually have well over 200 students currently studying in the program now. Oh, wow. So let's so let really add on. Large, yes. So to answer your question, the first uh, thing that occurred to me sort of comically, but perhaps not, was meet the Fockers. I've actually had a number of students say, until they saw Barbara Streisand in that role, they didn't know there could be somebody who thought sexuality was really important and actually had a career in it. Other people, of course, have told me about Dr. Ruth and the Canadian sex lady. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there have been a few more visibly... Um, available people that people can say, oh, it is possible to be a sexuality educator or be a sex therapist. And I've, you know, I have students that I interview who are, apply to our program and they say, you know, I've just always been the go-to person among my friends when it yes. comes to sex, mm-hmm. but I never knew I could have this for my job. This is really exciting. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I hear that regularly as well. Mm-hmm. And then they'll say, but how do I go about getting this? How do I put this program? How do I, how do I make myself marketable? Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, it, just to talk briefly about our program, uh, we do have two tracks, what we call it. People mm-hmm. who are interested in being a sexuality educator uh, can come to Widener just with a bachelor's degree, and it can be a bachelor's in psychology or sociology, biology, women's studies. Actually, we have people with bachelor's degrees in marketing as well, or mm-hmm. English. Mm-hmm. But they can come and do a master's in education and with a focus in human sexuality. And so they learn educational techniques and curriculum design and how to lead workshops, but also this incredibly comprehensive sense of this biopsychosocial model of understanding human sexuality. Right. The other track is what we call clinical sexology, and that's for therapists who want to have a specialization in sexuality. So sometimes we have therapists who already uh, have their degree, and mm-hmm. they decide to fly into Widener for our weekend classes and do either our master's or our Ph.D., um, or people can come just with their bachelor's and do a dual degree in clinical social work and sexuality, in which case they have an MSW and an MED, or we have a, a five-year PsyD program 
combined with our master's in sexuality that gives you a doctorate in clinical psychology with a specialization in sexuality. Mm-hmm. So there are many options and choices. Now, what, let's say someone says, you know, I'm really interested in doing this, but how much is it going to cost me and how much time is it going to take? I mean, if you do the PsyD, that's five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that would be full-time, correct? Yes, that is full-time. And because the last two years are very intensive uh, doing practicum and internships, mm-hmm. so you're actually out there in the field seeing clients. And then, of course, you also have a dissertation to write within that time. Right. So uh, the dual degree, well, let's start with the education program because that's a little easier. If you mm-hmm. full-time and do a master's in sexuality education, it's two years full-time although they can do it part-time and stay with their job, which makes it uh, easier to pay for this if you have a job to uh, support you during the time. If you are working full-time and coming for our weekend classes, uh, people usually take three years to do the master's degree. Okay. I don't have exact tuition figures, but it runs at about $15,000 a year. Okay. We're in the moderate range in terms of tuition, certainly not as high as a lot of the quite expensive universities and not quite as low as the state universities. So if somebody is in the education area and they want to do the Ph.D. in order to be a faculty member or do research or maybe do policy-oriented work, Mm-hmm. That's going to be about five years uh, because they have to do the master's level classes first and then they do their research methods and additional uh, work to prepare for a dissertation and do dissertation research. Right. So, uh, on the clinical side, the dual degree with social work full-time is a three-year program and then the dual degree with PsyD is five years. Okay. <clears throat> okay, we have someone who is interested in this, you as, now you have shifted from doing more of the director role mm-hmm. to doing things more in the area of the actual, you know, working with the students. Right. Which I would think is probably more of a passion for you than yes. doing all of the admin. I'm a lifelong educator. I love teaching. And, but you also want to, and, and you know what? And knowing that you can teach someone, doesn't that just, does, doesn't that warm your heart? It's wonderful. I was a sexuality educator myself for a long time, so I love helping younger people come into the field. Mm-hmm. Now, these, someone is coming in. We're, we'll have about 90 seconds until our first break. Is there such a thing as the ideal candidate who applies to your programs? Somebody who believes that human sexuality is a normal, natural part of life and wants to help other people believe and know that, too. Okay. Absolutely. Beyond that, if you have a background in the social sciences, that's a big help. Mm -hmm. And um, certainly those people who are already therapists are well-primed to come in and do the sexuality specialization. But we take people from a wide variety of backgrounds. It's a very interdisciplinary program. That's what you had said when we were, you know, setting up the interview, is like how broad the scope is of the students mm-hmm. who are coming in. Exactly, exactly. You know, people, like I said, can have an English background. or We have actually a lawyer who's thinking of, is in the process of transitioning from practicing law full-time to going into sexuality education and teaching at the university level. 
We've had a woman who was a, a physician, an osteopathic physician, um, who decided that she didn't really want to do that practice. She wanted to be a sexuality educator, and now she's teaching health education at a private Quaker school outside of Philadelphia. Now, so, that, those are combos, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. Now, here we are coming up to our first break. My guest this evening is Dr. Betsy Crane. Please stay with us. We will be right back. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Information is power, the power to change your life. So be here for Education to Excellence. Some of the most valuable information you may ever receive will be shared with you 7 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday night with Education to Excellence with your host, Bruce Beichman. You'll benefit from insightful shows featuring guests that are proven experts in their field. Little-known facts on how to improve your health by making one very simple change in your morning routine. If you're a high school graduate or working adult and a bachelor's, master's, or doctorate degree from an accredited college would change your life, you won't want to miss this. Education to Excellence. Shift your career into high gear without ever attending a traditional college class. Learn investment strategies from proven experts who have a track record of helping normal individuals build abnormal wealth. Check out their website, education2excellence.com. Then join us for the show, Education to Excellence, with your host, Bruce Beichman. Tuesday nights at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific on toginet.com. Do holidays and celebrations get you down and leave you feeling frazzled? Then join Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Sandy will help you discover the secrets to having the celebrations you've always dreamed of while adding fun and meaning to your life. From Valentine's Day to Christmas to special family events, Sandy Fowler will show you how to put the fun and meaning back into those special days by taking a look at what we can do to turn the upcoming holidays into cherished memories and show us how to allow it to intertwine with everyday life. For more on the show, Sandy, and to receive Sandy's Holiday Happiness Booklet, go to HeartfilledHolidays.com. Then get set to discover the secrets to creating happy holidays and happy everydays by joining Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Betsy Crane, who is at Widener School in Pennsylvania in the um, Human Sexuality Graduate Program. So I titled this this evening, How Bright is Your Future in Sex? Mm-hmm. And Dr. Crane is the person who can tell you and guide people if they are interested, in, you know, for anyone who'd like to call in, and that toll-free number is 877-864-4869, 
Repeating that number, 877-864-4869. If you are interested in this field, if you're wondering about it, if you're curious, or you have a friend who's curious, this is your time to call. So, Betsy, I know my way of coming into this field was very circuitous. It started with sciences, turned into something else. Will you please share how you got into this? Because yours has equally sort of like a braid of different, you Mm -hmm. know, tracks that you started on. That's true. So I was originally a sociology major with a psychology minor interested in mental health issues, and I initially received my master's degree in mental health education. I subsequently, however, um, moved to an area where there was an opportunity to be a outreach worker in a health department family planning program. I was 26 years old, and I had an opportunity to work with pregnant teenagers, work with schools, because back then we could do a lot more work with schools in the 1970s mm-hmm. than we can now. Right. And uh, work with parents to help them become more comfortable talking about sexuality. Well, once I got this job, I just fell in love with the field. And my interest in sexuality, I think, had been driven, I think, for a lot of women in particular, by coming into our own sexuality and realizing how little we had ever been told that was helpful about our own bodies and about how we can take really good care of ourselves and relationships. Like we all had to figure it out for ourselves, which I was one of those people as well. So once I realized I could have a job where I could offer classes and workshops and community programs to help teens and adults of all ages um, be more comfortable talking about this topic and actually gain some skills in interpersonal competence related to sexuality, I just never wanted to do anything else again. Mm-hmm. As it turned out, I did go to. Planned Parenthood in Ithaca, New York, which is an outstanding Planned Parenthood affiliate, and I was the director of education there for 12 years. Um, it was a, one of the most outstanding times of my life. Um, we, Our mission was that we wanted every child born in that community to be born to parents who were comfortable about sex, who would go to a physician who would know how to answer questions that they might have. Wow. Or even the daycare where if they had little questions about their bodies or they were seen touching themselves, the daycare provider was going to understand and be supportive. And we wanted them to be in a school district where there was K-12, to comprehensive sexuality education, have youth group leaders that would help them understand their identity as they came into their sexuality and be available to talk. And so we did workshops and trainings and conferences, all to just raise the sexual literacy level of all the adults in our community. And I worked with the school district on a kindergarten to sixth grade sex education curriculum that was passed by the school board in the late 80s, Mm -hmm. um, and I know made a lot of difference in the lives of the children there. I had a pediatrician tell me that. And so, that is just uh, that warms your heart. Even education, I was seduced into administration when our executive director left, and I did do five years as executive director of that Planned Parenthood affiliate. I'm so much a believer in the Planned Parenthood mission, and I think when I had the opportunity to really assure that we could provide reproductive health services in Ithaca and grow and maintain them, I wanted that opportunity. But then I realized I missed education, 
and I left Planned Parenthood and took a position at Cornell University on the extension faculty. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I took the opportunity of doing my own doctoral degree where I got my Ph.D. and transitioned into academia at the age of 50. And first I was teaching in a leadership studies doctoral program for people in human service agencies. I did that for seven years. And I didn't know about this program at Widener. I was one of those people, like maybe some of your listeners. Did I know that you could have a job teaching sexuality full-time? I didn't. I was teaching sex, uh, sexuality classes part-time, even mm-hmm. at the university I was at. But when Dr. Bill Staten, the former director of this program, left, and I saw that this uh, directorship of this program was open, I jumped at it and have just been so pleased to be here ever since and see the growth and development of this program. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a phenomenal program. And also, you and I know that when Bill Staten started this and got this created, it was from the same reason. He wasn't able to find the information when people were coming to him as an American Baptist clergy. He had he had great training in the theology and in the faith based area, but the questions that people were asking him, he was like, "Oh my!" He had he had no clue these things even occurred. That's right, and he was able then with another person at the University of Pennsylvania to actually start this program then in 1976. And the program ran at Penn for 23 years, but then in 1999, they were going to end it. And Bill Staten, Connie McCaffrey, and some of the other excellent adjuncts in this program came to Widener University and said, would you take it, lock, stock, and barrel, students, curriculum, and faculty? And they did. Probably one of the best decisions Widener's ever made um, because it's, it's worked out well for the university and it's grown to be so much larger than it was at Penn. It's mm-hmm. also much more affordable than it was at Penn. And I think we have a much more diverse group of students in this program than ever before. Oh, I mean, when I was speaking with Mark Schoen, who's another colleague of ours who has, you know, he's right now working on his fabulous film, Trans. Mm-hmm. And when he was telling me, you know, that you had mentioned the caliber of the students that are coming in and the, the range of them. So for someone who might be looking at this, what are these students coming in to study? What are, you know, what are their interests? Yeah, so... Um uh, absolutely a wide range again. I mean, we do have people like myself who come from a family planning or reproductive health background or right. prevention education background. They want to work preventing teenage pregnancy or, or STI, sexually transmitted infections, or HIV. Or some people have worked in domestic violence and rape areas, and they want to develop programs and counsel people who have been affected by sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. Then there's the whole area of sexual orientation and gender identity. Certainly a very, uh, I think probably our fastest growing area in terms of interest is the transgender area. You mentioned Mark's uh, film, Trans. Mm-hmm. People are very hungry to understand what is going on with people making choices about their gender, um, not just to go from being a man to a woman or vice versa, but many people saying neither gender roles as they're set up in a society really fit me, and I'm going to be gender queer. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, I have a dissertation student right now who's doing a qualitative uh, research study interviewing people whose sex 
their gender identity and their sexual orientation don't just line up like you think they would. There's right. something that's different about them, and she's interviewing them about, well, where did you, how did you get here? What have been your life experiences? What led you to feel the way that you do about your gender? And so that's just another example. Um, a, a wide range of topics related to uh, uh, intimacy, relationships, one of our students uh, studied autism and how people with autism and teens with autism are negotiating relationships, and then she went on to develop a curriculum, uh, mm-hmm. a sex education curriculum for teens on the Asperger spectrum. Okay, because I was just going to ask you, is how, how different is, and that's my question, how different is autism from Asperger's? Well, autism is generally considered to be more of the extreme version, whereas Asperger's has some of the same characteristics of somebody with autism, uh, but not as intensely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Another area that I think is really growing is the whole sexuality and aging area. Mm Mm-hmm. One of our dissertation students is going to be uh, doing focus groups and interviews with people between the ages of 70 and 85 about their experiences of sexuality as they age. Mm-hmm. What happened to them physically? What's been the effect of their medications? What's happened with their relationships? What are their desires? What are their pleasures? Um, do they have physicians or healthcare providers that are helping them stay sexual? Mm-hmm. And now, it, you know, um, simply, that's a huge area. We have a consortium on sexuality and aging, a group of educators and trainers who have that as their focus that's affiliated with our program now. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the one, is that um, Bill Tavner's? Uh, yeah, Peggy Brick, Bill Tavener, all those folks, yep. Mm-hmm. Now, they uh, are part, Melanie Davis, are affiliated mm-hmm. with Widener's. They're, it's the Sexuality and Aging Consortium at Widener right. University. Right. Now, if I can just ask a quick question. Yeah, sure. For the person who's doing the things on sexuality and aging with the focus groups, mm-hmm. is not the lower part of that, you know, that group of 70 to 85, are those not the people who were, you know, the sexual revolution? They were doing it's, it's, everything. It's just about, of course, the baby boomers, you know, just started turning 65, 66 the last few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she will have some what we call cohort effects. Mm-hmm. where the people that are in their 80s grew up in a very different time related to sexuality mm-hmm. than the people that are in their late 60s or possibly early 70s. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Some of those people in the early 70s could have been part of the beat generation. Oh, and, and they did everything. Mm-hmm. Some of them did absolutely. everything. Absolutely. <laughs> and then the other major area is just sexual behaviors. What do people do sexually? There's such a need for more sex research. You know, certainly Kinsey and Masters and Johnson got us off to a great start, but sex research has been stigmatized. It's very difficult to get a federal grant to do research on sexual behaviors because of the political controversies around our field. Mm-hmm. So we do have students that are, are carrying out uh, large-scale survey studies. Uh, one recently did one about women who have sex with women and what behaviors do they engage in and what do they enjoy and what do they find satisfying. And what's their thing? Now, we're coming to our next break. Okay. 
Please stay with us. My guest is Dr. Betsy Crane, and we'll come back and talk about sex, education, and how bright is your future. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. Get ready to laugh along with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Ali Lopreet. Friday evenings at 6, 5 central on Togedet.com. This is a truly realistic, no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is method that will have you laughing and crying, surviving while struggling, and hammering away at the hardships as you travel through the greatest journey of your life. Get empowered by joining thousands of other parents who have also decided to take a leap of faith into a double career with longer hours and half the pay simply because of the love they have for their children. Together, we are rebuilding a new economy that will support us rather than enslave us. Never again will we have to choose between raising our children and earning to provide for them. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. For more on Allie and her success, check out her website, OurMilkMoney.com. So come get empowered with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Allie Lopreet. Friday afternoons at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Parents, if you feel overloaded, overworked, underappreciated, and seriously stressed out, the Parents Plate is here to help you. The Parents Plate with Brenda Nixon. Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet. It's time to build stronger families through parent empowerment. And that's what the Parents Plate does. The Parents Plate understands the busyness of life and balancing child rearing and other commitments. Brenda Nixon will be talking to noted experts and authors on all issues, from teething to teen driving. Brenda Nixon is a nationally recognized speaker to parents and child care professionals and author of the award-winning The Birth to Five book. From Fox 4 in Kansas City to schools and synagogues to businesses to bookstores, conferences to churches, audiences rave that Brenda engages, educates, and encourages. For more information on Brenda and her books, check out her website, brendanixon.com. The Parents Plate is loaded with information and affirmation. The Parents Plate with Brenda Nixon. Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. And while we're on the break, Dr. Crane and I are having all kinds of things that we're sharing and laughing and all that good stuff. Anyone who would like to call in for anyone who's listening live, it's 877-864-4869. Repeating again, 877-864-4869. And before the break, we were talking about the different areas of study that are coming in, but also when we were on the break, Betsy, you mentioned that, you know, it is tough to get studies put together to study about sexual behavior because the stigma, trying to get funding, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. most universities, do they not have, like, what, not being a, you know, someone who's in academics, mm-hmm. an IRB, an internal review board, right, mm-hmm. to say whether or not you can you can create a certain study. Yeah, and we're very fortunate here at Widener. Our, our, I was on the IRB myself, and we've had no problem at all getting our studies passed. So 
it's another way on which the university here has just been so supportive and so understanding. The chair of the IRB herself is a nurse and, and is director of the doctoral program in nursing, and, and she certainly understands very much the importance of these issues in people's lives. Well, another area that I wanted to just mention um, that people do work in coming out of our degree programs has to do with um, the whole area of sexually compulsive behaviors. Okay. And there are a lot of jobs working in what are called sex addiction treatment programs or sex offender programs because there are people who do have difficulties with sexual behavior and having uh, a counselor who has very strong training in sexuality can be very helpful because we don't want to be punitive in our response to people. We want to have a more sex-positive approach but help people develop and be able to maintain the boundaries that are appropriate. Right. Well, and you and I both know the three areas where people will go when they're looking for guidance or help or assistance with a question relative mm -hmm. to their bodies or their sexuality, they'll go to a physician, they'll mm -hmm. go to someone of faith, you know, the, their um, imam or the rabbi or their priest or their minister, or they'll go to a therapist. Mm -hmm. And neither of those three areas gets good sexual health education. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's really abominable that we are the only program like ours in the, you know, United States and one of the few in the world, actually, that has as its focus the applied work in sexuality that we do. You mentioned Mark Schoen earlier, who mm -hmm. produced the wonderful film Trans. Mm -hmm. He's a graduate of the NYU program that used to be such an important program in our field, training sex educators. And the Penn and the NYU programs produce some of the outstanding people in our field today. Right. NYU closed their program. Penn closed their program. So really, we're the carrying standard bearer. Um, of, of proceeding to train people who are very well prepared in sexuality education, um, and as well as, of course, the clinical sexologists. Um, there needs to be so much more offered for ministers, for physicians, for really, as I was saying earlier, for all professionals who work with young people or adults, because we're sexual from birth to death, and um, often physicians particularly aren't comfortable addressing it because they've had no education themselves. No, and what they have had is they've had the education to be the expert, mm -hmm. as has therapists, as have people who are, you know, faith-based leaders. They've mm -hmm. had all this training, and then when they get asked a question in this area, they do what, what most people do is they go to their default program, which is their own experiences, and they're not going to be talking about that. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and they often have the same attitudes and values and knowledge as any other American who also didn't get any sex education as a child or as a teen. Um, I teach sometimes in the Upstate Medical Center in New York, um, in New York, uh, training their third-year residents. And mm -hmm. we go around, and when we meet with them, we get one day to do sexuality education with these physicians. And we ask them if they've ever had a sexuality class in college and medical school. It, it, most often, none of them have had any sexuality training up until that one day. So they know about as much as about sex as the average person on the street. Right. And I know for me, anecdotally, when people ask a question, the number one question that's never asked, particularly by men, when there's a health issue is how is this going to impact my sex life. Right, right. And the physicians don't bring it up. Uh, no. I've heard recently, uh, maybe it was you telling me, Lou, that some of the 
prescriptions that teens are taking to help them focus on their studies yeah. are actually causing erectile problems. Yeah, the Adderall. Mm-hmm. But he's telling them that that's going on, and they don't have information about what erections should be like. So they're left very much alone. And you and I both know, and, and given that pen closed, they sort of grandfathered these programs in, NYU, but then when the people who were the heads of them retired, the programs disappeared. Yeah. And that's what's so exciting about Widener, that we now have mm-hmm. six full-time faculty. Mm-hmm. Two and of us, are, three of us are already tenured, so we have three tenured faculty, um, three more on their way. And I see us growing even more in the future. I see us developing a bachelor's degree program. Mm-hmm. So undergraduates who want to study sexuality before the graduate level will be able to do that. And uh, that will give more of our students, our doctoral students, teaching experience as well. Right. Now, here's the other thing. Are there people who are working to do the same thing to get an endowed chair so that your programs are secured there? Well, that would be one of the steps that I might want to take on now that I'm not the director anymore going forward. <laughs> right. Uh, we haven't quite done that yet, but I think it's a great idea, and I know our university president would be very supportive and thrilled to have that be the case. Mm-hmm. Of course, that just uh, became the case at Morehouse School of Medicine, mm-hmm. where they were able to endow a chair in sexual health and theology mm-hmm. under Bill Staten's leadership initially. Uh, right. And, of course, the endowed chair at University of Minnesota where they have a postdoctoral program in clinical sexology. Right. And we also... Wonderful. Um, at the, I'm on the leadership council at for the endowed chair. We also got the Joycelyn Elders Chair in Sexual Health Education set. Oh, that's wonderful. Absolutely. So, again, one of the things is, you know, people have to understand in order for us to really be you know, a a force and have the ability to deliver, we have to have the funding behind making sure that these programs can continue forward. Yes, and that they don't get dropped, as has been the case in the past. Right, and which is what, you know, Eli Coleman went after when he was wanting to put the chair at, you know, University of Minnesota in their, um, their medical school, the program in human sexuality. Yeah, it was brilliant. Now, you know, Lou, one other area I thought uh, for our listeners, sometimes people ask me, well, what classes do people take? Mm-hmm. So when they hear we have a whole department of human sexuality, they can't imagine, well, what are the topics that they, they uh, discuss? <laughs> yeah. Would you like me to talk about that possibly? Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, and that's so perfect, they can be a fly on the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, just to go through a few, our initial class is called Concepts in Human Sexuality. And we address some of the core understandings, um, and we, we start with this biopsychosocial model of understanding. So first we need to know our biology. We need to know the anatomy and physiology right. of our sexual response system and our reproductive system. Mm-hmm. And then the psychology. So what, in what ways do various experiences that people have over their lifetime and in what ways do people's personality structures affect some of the decisions and the abilities that they have to be happy in their sexual relationships. And then the social, we look at how sexuality is very much a socially constructed thing. Um, What does it mean to be a man? What's it mean to be a woman? What's it mean to be gay or straight? Um, Where did these ideas come from that sex has to be a particular way? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, 
first base, second base, third base, and home run. You know, where did that metaphor come from? And can it be replaced by a more productive metaphor? Actually, a wonderful sexuality educator, uh, Al Vernacchio, just did a TED Talk in which he proposed that we have a metaphor of pizza instead of the the, uh, baseball metaphor for sex. Um, and so, you know, he, because he says, you know, if you're going out to have pizza with somebody else, you say, well, what do you like on your pizza? Do you like, you know, sausage or pepperoni? <laughs> That's excellent. Do you like it that way? It's something that you can talk about. You can express a preference for. And then maybe you can come to a compromise about the pizza that you're going to share, like you would if you were having a sexual engagement. Oh, no, that's that is hilarious. Wonderful. You should watch his TED Talk. It's fabulous. Uh, you know, I'm just making a note on that. <laughs> He's a high school sexuality educator at a Quaker school here in Philadelphia. And he had, there was a New York Times cover magazine cover article about him about six months ago and the wonderful work that he's doing with teenagers. So we look, we teach students the core concepts. And then their next class is the behavioral foundations class. And we start looking at all the different ways that people engage in sexuality. So we look at relationships issues, monogamy and non-monogamy, polyamory, swinging, all the variations that people might have in their sexual lives, affairs, of course, is another option. Uh Um, And we look at um, some of the sexuality communities like the BDSM community uh, Uh where people may have um, be in communities where they can learn how to share power and control with each other in ways that are safe, sane, and consensual. Right. Speakers come in from different communities. Um, we have speakers on autism and sexuality. We had a speaker who she's a sex therapist and her husband is on the spectrum come in about and the work that she does with helping people with autism. So we help our students start to see the range of issues and challenges that people face around their sexuality as well. Mm-hmm. And then they take a course in the biological foundations of human sexuality that's taught by a nurse nurse practitioner, and so that they can really be grounded in the effect of hormones, um, the effect of medications, the effect of so many different aspects of our sexuality um, so that they can understand it clearly. They take a course in cross-cultural issues in human sexuality so that we can see that, you know, if we're from a, a New York City or Philadelphia Italian community, the way we get raised to be a man or a woman and the way we are as sexual people may be different than if we grew up in Norwegian Wisconsin, you know, never mind being uh, uh, somebody who's Hispanic or somebody who's Muslim. So how does where we come from and the messages that we've been given across our life affect our own sexuality? And then how does it, how important, so important to be able to work with people in a way that's culturally competent, that we don't assume that other people have the same culture that we do. There's no, there's no question. I was having that conversation this morning with a, a friend of mine who's another writer, and on the cross-cultural, you know, sensitivity of arranged and not arranged marriages. Now we are coming to our third break. My guest okay. this evening is Dr. Betsy Crane. Please stay with us. We'll be right back about how bright your future is in sexuality. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrock. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on TogiNet.com. 
Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Lori Hurley, the social networking navigator, helps you overcome your overwhelm online and make social media easy. Every week, she shares the latest and greatest about social networking and welcomes industry experts and end users of different social media platforms to share their experiences moving their business forward online. Whether you are a Facebook fanatic or a lover of LinkedIn, Lori has you covered on all angles of social media, including Twitter, YouTube, blogging, Google+, and more. Lori shares her knowledge and love of educating others on all things social media with relevant material, engaging guests, and hot tips and techniques to help you soar down the social media highway. Join her every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time for the Social Networking News Hour here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. And for those of you who might like to call in in the final segment, the call-in toll-free number is 877-864-4869, repeating, 877-864-4869. My guest is Dr. Betsy Crane, and we were just before the break, we were talking about the sensitivity to being um, aware of, you know, the cultural differences uh, with however you were raised. And I just spent this weekend at an event with a gentleman who was raised French-Canadian and his wife is Asian. She and the difference between what's happening for them is like it's like literally running into brick walls for both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. very different cultures. Right, and her her mother is running everything and he's like, excuse me, you are an adult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And but in that being part of the family, it's a much more collectivist culture. Um, that was the expectation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And now when we were setting, setting up our questions and everything, you spoke of a couple of things that I'd like you to go over, and that's the thing on the gender role article, mm-hmm. you know, should I hold the door open for her or not? And I believe you said you worked on that with your son? Um, yes. Uh, my son and I have uh, published together. He's also in this area, although... He does international relations, and he's interested in gender from the effect uh, he teaches a course on gender and security studies. But we're both interested in masculinities as well as changing women's roles. 
Mm-hmm. So we did um, an article we called The Four Boxes of Gendered Sexuality. The mm-hmm. four boxes are the good girl versus the bad girl, which we're all pretty familiar with, the Madonna horror complex. Right. And we also d- juxtaposed what we call the tough guy, which is the hegemonic masculinity, the stereotypical guy, uh, as juxtaposed with the sweet guy. Mm-hmm. Which is we might say the some some guys that are considered sissy fag queers, but they may or may not be because many sweet guys are heterosexual mm-hmm. and many tough guys are gay actually. Exactly. And so it's a way that we confuse sometimes gender performance with sexual orientation. But I took that um, theory that Jesse and I had developed, and with a couple of graduate students, uh, they held focus groups with young people to talk about how are they negotiating these traditional gender roles that we all got, and young people in many ways are still getting, with some of the changes that are happening in society. Mm -hmm. Certainly more couples are going into relationships thinking if it's a man and a woman that she's going to work. Um, They may have to share um, staying home and taking care of the children. The man may choose to. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of changes. And what we found is that there's actually a lot of confusion. The males are quite confused often about what women want these days, Mm -hmm. which is why we're going to call the title of the article we're publishing, Should I Hold the Door Open for Her or Not? (laughs) I just love that. (laughs) If they hold the door, they look like some kind of a male chauvinist who doesn't think she's capable of opening the door for herself. But then in a romantic, and that might be appropriate to not open the door in a work situation where you're just colleagues or whatever, but he opens the door for themselves. But then in a romantic situation on a night out, the woman wants the door held, she wants the car door open for all this romance coming in, and it gets confusing. And I think that we're in the midst of enormous social change. I think women themselves are confused about what they want in a relationship. There's no question. No so question somehow that that's expecting there. that the man's supposed to be the provider, even though they're often capable of earning a good salary themselves. Um, so what does it really mean to have an egalitarian relationship, and how does that affect your sex life? Oh, it, it, I mean, I know anecdotally when we speak of the variance of you know, the who's earning money, who's not, what's going on. I mean, my comment is, look, let's be completely honest. If you control the wallet, you control a lot. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we had this conversation that there's kind of like this, wow, you know, I really don't want to be thinking like this, but we have been anthropologically hardwired for thousands of years that women find men who have a lot of money very desirable. Right, That's because a turn we on. needed one of those men to take care of us and our children because for thousands of years we were never able to get our own education, our own jobs, and take care of ourselves. So, of course, we became oriented toward being attracted to the guys. Sometimes these tough guys that we're attracted to can be very successful at work, but they don't have very good relationship skills. So we sacrifice sometimes the sweet relationship skills guys for somebody that we think is going to be able to, quote, unquote, take care of us. Mm-hmm. And I think that raises a lot of problems in relationships. Well, there's there's no question. That, in, in addition to many of how many different messages we get, of what we're supposed to look for, what are the best things. And honestly, it's almost like throwing everything onto the floor and then you have to sort through yourself to see what works for you. 
Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I tell students even that themselves are struggling with relationships. Um, you know, there is no guarantees. It's a lifelong journey. And sometimes we make a decision to hold somebody's hand and, and decide to jump off the cliff together and, and put a life together, and you're going to figure it out as you go along. But it takes excellent communication skills to stay open as you go along. What happens when she gets pregnant and how the relationship changes? Mm-hmm. When the children come, how can you guarantee that you can somehow still keep the spice in the relationship and make sure that you have that weekly date night and once a month that you go away, if you can, together, even for one night, um, so that you keep the relationship strong even as the children are also being cared for and, and are so important. Um, and, of course, you know, we're talking very heterosexually, but this is true of two women who might be together or two men who might be together. Right. And, I mean, I, I watched it with my older sister and her partner. Yeah. And, you know, we can fall into stereotype uh, roles there as well. Um, so what does it mean to be constantly evolving as a human being? You know, one of my earlier role models was Saul Gordon from Syracuse. Oh, he's so fabulous. He was so fabulous. Fabulous sex educator. He had these wonderful one-liners. And, and one of them was, if you want to have an interesting partner, if you want to find somebody interesting, be interesting. In other words, don't wait to find the person who's going to make your life, create an interesting life for yourself, and then somebody's going to be attracted to you. <laughs> well, exactly. And, you know, when I was, I was talking about the, with this friend of mine who we were having um, a meeting this morning talking about the differences between arranged marriages and love marriages, mm-hmm. we were also talking about, because she works in the area of people wanting to have better relationships, she said, you know, they'd, when they go on and they're looking at things on the in the dating world or online dating, mm-hmm. for heaven's sakes, if you are not telling the truth about what you want and mm-hmm. who you are, do yeah. not worry. That pink elephant will come out eventually. Absolutely. Absolutely. If- People have a lot of fears for understandable reasons about whether they're going to be attractive to somebody. Mm-hmm. But hiding who we are is ultimately um, not going to make it, as you said. Absolutely. Well, Taking the risk to be transparent and say, hey, this is who I am and I've got a lot going on. Would you like to join me? <laughs> yeah, so the, the, gentleman she was, yeah, the gentleman she was talking about is um, Ethan Mark Katz, and he wrote a book. I can't believe I'm writing this book. And what it was about is he would write the, um, the little uh, paragraphs for people wanting to do online dating. Uh, and what he saw, what Evan saw is that, it's Evan Marquez, pardon me, is that people would write the goofiest, stupidest, dumbest things. And mm-hmm. he at the time was also looking for who he would like to be in a relationship with. And what he realized is that he kept, and my friend Carol Allen was telling me this, she said he would keep looking for the women who were the tens and then he'd get absolutely crushed and, you know, devastated. And he realized you think you want the 10, but what you really want is the 7 or the 8. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what you want is the thing that, you know, you may, there's a reason why rock stars and supermodels get together, because mm-hmm. they already know nobody has a clue who they are. <laughs> yeah, and they don't often stay together. <laughs> no, no but, and, but if they do, they mm-hmm. know that they are with someone who wants to be with them 
for a, a different reasons. They're mm-hmm. already at that point of being sort of socially at the top of the peak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what we want, I mean, you and I both know, our sexuality is something, we're born of it, it's something that's with us through the rest of our lives. We arrive on this planet, the first thing that happens is you get judged by it, you get told you're one or the other, mm-hmm. which for some people doesn't work either. Right. And yet, we finally have places where we are raising the the level of awareness. I mean, people's little eyeballs are coming above the top of the pond. Yes. And seeing, yes. oh, there really can be this here. Because I am just so impressed by how many people are coming into this field and, yes. are, and are interested in, and want to do something. And... I also know there's other people who would love to take, like, for example, you said the woman who was the osteopath and mm-hmm. the gentleman who was the attorney. Right. And and they're coming back and looking for how they can make a contribution based on what they've already got. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And and you said in uh, introducing the program that the we are having really an explosion of applications, and we really have. Um, we're just getting more and more calls every single day. People call us from all over the country. Just mm-hmm. having heard about this program and just having found out that they could actually have a career as a sex therapist or a sex educator, <laughs> and just intuitively knowing inside themselves. You know, sometimes the students will, when I interview them, they'll say, that they came from families where sex was openly talked about, and they realized how important it was, and they had so many friends who didn't know, and then mm-hmm. they ended up being the educator. And then all too often it's from people who didn't have a comfortable, um, knowledgeable base growing up, didn't have parents who talked to them, didn't no. have good school sex ed, and then realized how much they struggled because of it. Th- there's no question, because that was other now. people never have to go through that. Right. Now, we probably have another 30 seconds left. Dr. Crane, what would you like to leave as your legacy? A whole generation of professionals who are well-trained and well-prepared to help people have happy, satisfying sexual lives. Hear, hear. I toast you, my dear. Well, and to you. Thank you for all this education that you're doing, Lou. It's been a joy to be with you on this show tonight. Thank you so much. And I will get my social media to send this out. And is the best place for them to go to widener.edu? Yes, and just put in the search engine human sexuality. Perfect. Betsy, thank you so much for being on tonight. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye now. Thank you for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget. She will.